welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Maria Cruz, mother of seven and advanced yoga practitioner, is our guest today on the Keenan Yoga podcast. An incredible woman, an example of what can be possible. Born and raised in Costa Rica, she worked unhappily as a lawyer, the career her family wanted for her, before finding her way to Mysore. After over 15 trips, she is now permanently resident in Delhi, after a stint as the ambassador for Costa Rica to India. In this podcast, Mariella talks of the challenges of motherhood, the pressures of the male perspective on what it is to be a woman, and the struggles of redeveloping a practice after childbirth, many of them in fact. This is a rare and unique journey, and a rare and unique interview. Very interesting listen, and we're really pleased we got the opportunity to record our second version of this after a technological, technical <laughs> fault in the first one. So welcome, Mariela, to the second time around of our Keenan Yoga podcast with you. So welcome back um, for the second time, uh, Mariela. Again, we had, we're racked by recording trouble, so Mariela and I are having a second conversation, and it's going to be even better than our first. So welcome again, Mariela, to our first episode with Mariela Cruz of the Keenan Yoga podcast. Thank you, Adam. Um, I'm so happy yeah. to be here. Thank you for giving me a second chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's mine. I'll take I'll mea culpa. I'll take the blame for that again. Um, so just to give us a, an update on, uh, yeah, like I mean, I met you in my story, I think about 2016. Um, mm. And I, you have it's seven children or six children. I mean, that was... Yeah, I, I am seven. the mother, the biological mother of seven children. And when I seven met you... Children, yeah. When I met yes, you in six. Mysore with Teresa, I was with Ariel, my yes. third one. I mean, he's he's going to be 25 today, so I'm really excited to be here on his birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just remember I, you were living downstairs from us, um, and I'm not, you know, I don't usually do too much Mysore details on the podcast, really. But um, I, I do remember that we, you were living downstairs with Ariel, who, who you know, if he, if he listens to this... Uh, um, my regards, because he was lovely, uh, a well, well mannered, and lovely young man. Yes, um, <laughs> and, but, um, you know, and I felt, I, having heard that story, when I saw you in the Shala practicing, I was just absolutely amazed that um, mm. that you were doing that practice and that advanced practice, which is hard enough with no children, let alone mm. having seven children. So I'm, you know, I'm ashamed to say that it, it's taken me this long to get around to actually talking <laughs> to you and hear, hearing this. What <laughs> <laughs> what superpowers um, that you you were given to to actually have seven children and still practice an advanced series in Mysore like you were and like I saw you mm. doing very nicely I have to say mm. so uh, I really am curious to, to to go further into this podcast and um, so before that just I suppose just give us a little update on um or backstory as to how you got into the yoga and uh, you know how you arrived at um mm. uh, when I saw you then in uh, maybe 2016. Wow, thank you. But you know, my superpowers come from my guru. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like a, a humble receptor of his CDs. And yeah. actually, I, I I always crave for spirituality since I was a little girl. And my mother used to 
practice yoga and take me along with her into her classes. And, and I used to see like these beautiful spirits when she was practicing. I really remember that. So I was always sensitive, you know. And well, you were seeing spirits around her or other spirits no, in the room in, with her? in the garden, in the garden. She was like okay. in her yoga class and I was in the garden and I could see, I could feel this presence of, of beautiful beings around me. And I was like seven, eight years old. And so there's there's a destiny for all of us, I guess, you know, because how would I have ever imagined to to live in India, you know, and to meet my gurus and and do this intense and crazy practice that we mm. do and meet, you know, a beautiful community is like, wow, it just completely blew my mind. Yeah. Obviously, well, obviously, but you're from Costa Rica. So mm. I suppose at the time when you first discovered it, it wasn't hardly normal to, to be practicing. Yeah, yoga, you know, right? well, there was no one else around doing that. So was your mum quite unusual at that time to, my to mom, be practicing? Yeah. Yeah. My mum, my first guru. And, you know, Costa Rica is 5 million people. Is the size of my neighborhood here where I live now in India. It's so tiny. And right. people usually like, you know, they get confused between Costa Rica and Puerto Rico, you know, where they think they're <laughs> island. And like, so definitely it was very conservative, Catholic uh, society and my mother was you know definitely a pioneer and i'm so grateful because she she inspired me to to search that was her teaching up to today she's a she's a seeker so uh yeah i was like i i got in contact with yoga when i was really young did you keep carry on practicing from then or you saw it then and then late later. Yeah. I have to say, after Harmony's podcast, I know a little bit of the story. So <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of, it was a while, but it was a while since you kind of, you, you ended up taking a long detour, didn't you? And then you kind of went back to Mysore yeah. and you tried to go to my, I, yeah. I got to heard that story. You tried to go to Mysore once and you didn't get, they turned you away because you couldn't stay that long because you, mm. you couldn't, you know, you didn't have the time with your kids and everything. Just, I'm not kind of preempting your story, but, you know, and then... <laughs> It was, uh, I think you came to Ashtanga kind of late after having a couple of children at least already. Yeah, I had four of my kids. I have my four oh, kids God. from my first marriage when I uh, heard about India and someone told me there was a teacher in the south part of India. And I was getting interested in yoga, but you know, I was a lawyer, so I was more into like, in a different world. But there was something in my soul that... Uh, that got pulled. That's how I feel it. Some some type of force pulled me to India. And when I stepped here for the first time, which is going to be 20 years next year, wow, it's like my heart completely like open. And I said, this is where I belong. It was just like a, a feeling of being Indian inside mm. of me. And in those times, it was very confusing, you know, because Costa Rica is on the other side of of the world and traveling was very hectic and I had my kids and it was a juggling but this mm. intense pulling coming from from Guruji and from Sharat I mean and there was nothing else once I met them I knew I wanted to be with them as as much as I could which was not much because you know I was a mother so I had all my responsibilities there and it was a month a year and that month started like, you know, taking my whole life. Mm. So I think, as I remember, someone came to Costa Rica and, and you saw the practice and the Ashtanga practice and you kind of liked it. And, and then and then you kind of pursued it in the end to thinking that you would, no, you, 
Did you go somewhere else in India first, and then you decided to go to Mysore? Well, I first I went to to California, and I started with Tim right. Miller. And okay. then I went to Boulder and I started with Richard Freeman. And, you know, I was trying to stay in America because it was, you know, it was less crazy than coming all the way. But once I, you know, stepped into, into Guruji Shala and Sharat was there and everything, I could not, like, you know, surrender to anything that that was not that. It, it was, like, so clear, this is where I need to study. This is it's not comfortable. It's actually very logistically, very complicated, complex. But I'm going to figure this one out because this is worth it. It's like whenever I would be in, in Shavasana, in the in the Shala, in, in, in Gokulam, upstairs, you know, in the women's, like, and oh, I would yes, feel yeah. so happy and the birds were chanting in the morning and the, oh, my God, and I would say, it, it was all worth it, you know, everything that has happened, all the effort and all the intense logistics, it's so worth it. I'm so grateful. Mm, mm, mm. How, did it, how did you find it coming, already having had four children? Well, I suppose you didn't know anything else, did you? I mean, you had those four children when you started, so you didn't know how it might be to practice without having them. I mean, exactly. imagine how good you would have been if you hadn't had any. Well, you know, I mean, that, yeah. that thought crossed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were very good, as it were, having seven of them, right? I mean, well, uh, the reason to, to, you know, to get Mary on today and, 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 you know, we speak a lot about Ashtanga and it was particularly, though, to do with this, you know, the, the motherhood and the having the children. And, I mean, I suppose, and, you know, and to inspire other women and to, you know, to understand what kind of struggles and differences there are for a woman, especially a mother, to practice Ashtanga. So um, mm. I suppose let's, let's start that ball rolling, really. I mean, that's not a massive backstory. I mean, I suppose to flesh it out a little, little bit longer. I mean, Marielle, I think you finished the advanced A after 15 trips to Mysore last year. Is that yeah, right? Or the year before? Yeah, 2019. Yes. <laughs> that's an incredible achievement, as anyone that has done that. Um, knows that's well, not an easy again, thing. I tell you, it's, it's not me, it's the grace of, of my gurus because there's no way, Adam, that I could have done it on my own. It's like there's no way because there were so many obstacles in all runs, not only from my children and the logistics, but also from my ex husbands. And you know, there was like a lot of resistance in the society also because I was a pioneer in my country. So I had the first authorized shala in Central America. And you know, like, uh, that blessing for me meant so much and I really wanted to honor, you know, the teachings and and it, there was a lot of resistance in the society because, you know, we're very influenced by the U.S. And in the U.S. Yes. things yeah. get very watered down and, and, and yoga is more like a commercial uh, business thing. And, and, you know, I knew I didn't want to go that way. So it was like block after block that I had to face and and... And my studio was open for 16 years, which for me is like a huge success in this conservative yeah. society. Absolutely. Mm. And did people, I mean, I, I always imagined it would be people just from Costa Rica, but I suppose people would have come and visited you, you know, found you out and come to, to yeah. practice with you. You know, yeah. in, the, in the last years of the studio, a lot of people came from all over the world to... Well, it's, it's a wonderful holiday destination as well, isn't it? Mm. So, oh, yeah. Holiday, yoga with a great teacher, would be perfect. Um, <laughs> 
tropical fruits. Um, I, I, just as an aside, I mean, you, you know, I remember last time as well, you talked a lot about the guru and it's, well, it's less fashionable today these days, I suppose, to, to refer to gurus and especially to refer to um, the gurus that we've, we've had, you know. Um, what, what do you, <laughs> you know, and the difficulties that we have with those. What, what, can you say anything more about your feeling? about that and why you say you could have never done it without them. I mean, yeah, you know, because I was a very accept, skeptic person, you know, my mind was always in the way. I have a lawyer's mind and I want to prove everything. And this guru principle was asking me to go somewhere that I had never been, to trust someone else, something that was a big issue for me since I was a little girl because of my upbringing and my you know, the trauma and abusing my childhood. So it was really like pointing towards my wound, that thing about having a guru and, and saying surrendering to someone else. It was really like um, so hard for me. That's all I can tell you. But after every year, you know, in the Shala and in my in the, in the community, something started softening inside of me, like an edge. And then with the pregnancies and the babies, even more. Because, you know, I was, doing my, I was starting my advanced series and then I, I had another batch of babies and I completely <laughs> destroyed my practice. And like, it was so devastating, you know, as a, as a yogini and, and also as a mother, because I was not planning to have any more children. I just got married to a man that was 15 years younger than me and wow. he wanted yeah. a baby. And, and that was my, my surrender to, to this call of love <laughs> yeah well just i suppose i've never asked you well over the two times we've done it what was the chronology of your of your children like can you say like a what, would you mind saying it kind of what ages you had them that yes would be well i got married yeah. at 20 imagine so i was a mother by 21 and then at 30 i had four children already and then at 40 i had another batch of babies so it was so tolling on my body to be a mother, motherhood for 30 years and on, how can I say, like nonstop service, seva. That's what it is. Um, mm, mm. Motherhood is pure seva because you're not only surrendering your body, your time, your nights, because the sleeping, the breastfeeding, the, but also trying to be a person in yourself, you know, among all the craziness. Who am I? You know, who, who is this person? Am I only a mother? Am I only a cow? Am I only like a provider? Or maybe I'm something deeper than all that uh, crazy logistics. And, and wow, it, it was a, a challenge for me to, to retrieve myself. That's how I would say it, amongst mm. all these variables. And India became like my Narnia. That's how I say it. Yeah. And being with my guru became my saving grace because in that month, I would feel like I was someone <laughs> and then go back to Costa Rica and serve again and teach again and, you know, feed my family and take care of my kids. And wow, it was 30 years of nonstop Seva. And so now that I live in India, you know, and circumstances change, so I could live here where I really feel I belong. I feel like I'm living like a Sanyasin's life right now. So easy, <laughs> so easy compared to everything that I had to hold and do there. I don't know, God had some mercy on me. <laughs> Probably I was gonna just go nuts. But for all the mothers, it, it's so intense and sometimes it's so lonely, so lonely to be there in those nights with your baby and, and people are around you, but they don't truly understand what is happening when the baby is born. 
a mother is being born. And with each baby, a new mother, a new version of you is being born. So it's, it's all this transformation. And, and at the same time, this surrender to the body and, and losing the series and losing the practice and losing the asanas. And then starting one step at a time, one breath at a time with so much patience. So I really feel motherhood has taught me the, the basics of yoga, which is uh, patience and surrender. Because I could do all the asanas, but my mind was always racing. And it was very different between the, the early pregnancies, right? When you said mm -hmm. the first four was very different, oh. obviously, from, you know, towards 40 and over 40. It was a very different experience, right? And you, you, I think you talked about before about losing your your practice greatly with the latter, as you say, back, batch of children, batch of kids. It was such a paradox to, to lose your asanas and at the same time to understand deeper. And it was such a contradiction in myself because I was saying, you know, I, I cannot even do a sun salutation A, you know, because I do it and then the baby cries and I have to interrupt and and breastfeed and then I place the baby and then I go for my second Surya Namaskar and then the baby cries again. I have to burp him. And like, it, it was just like that cycle for seven cycles. And also the pregnancies, you know, the pregnancies completely, uh, there's like, it's not your body anymore. You think, but it's not your body. You have someone there that takes complete hold of who you are and your mm -hmm. mind also and, and you're completely focused on, on the birth. And sometimes the birth is not what you were expecting. Sometimes the baby is not what you were expecting. And still there's so much love and there's so much grace, even in the nitty gritty of the sleepless nights and, and the heartache, because somehow you feel you have lost yourself as a, as a woman, as a person. Right, uh, and you're just in I suppose, service. I think that's a good that's a good thing to acknowledge because I think as a, I, I imagine it's not it's not something you expect when becoming a mother that you'll lose yourself and you you feel it the opposite way round. I would just kind of envisage you would feel like I would become more of a woman and you know having that actually I can see <laughs> that it could it could make you feel just like as you say as a kind of provider or a cow, you know. Um, I, there's met so many kind of points I could go off from from what you said um the most obvious seems to me for mothers out there struggling how did you practice throughout pregnancy and after and obviously that would have been different in your earlier ones in what you could do and what you would did after to your later ones so I think it'll be very useful and you know to describe a little bit and maybe you know just envisage obviously that there's Hopefully, hopefully people listening here that will appreciate, you know, any guidance or any tips or any suggestions you can give. Because I think people feel very, um, I, it frustrates the hell out of me that people feel so um, literal about the sequence. They feel if I can't do the whole thing, then I may as well not do it at all, you know. like, I, And I feel that especially as a mother, you have to be more pragmatic and more piecemeal about it, right? And hmm. approach it, you know. Well, if any mother, new mother is listening to this podcast, I would say it's so much what you're going through. And there's like, a, how can I say, there's like this um, suppression of all that dark part of motherhood in our society. You know, it's like the child should make you happy. The child should, and it does, but there's always this uh, contradiction inside of you because 
once the baby is born, nobody cares about the mother. You know, they only care about the baby. And the mother goes into like a, 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 into this, uh, how can I say, into this shadow. And sometimes, you know, I had postpartum depression with my sixth baby and, and nobody understood Adam and nobody actually cared. They just needed me to be like functioning for the other kids. Why, why? The baby. You, could you say just why with that one? Why did it happen then? Well, there was like an emergency. It was an emergency birth and, you know, it was, he almost died and I almost died. It was very intense. So okay. that, that darkness happens even when you have all the love for these beautiful creatures that come to you and, and you feel so blessed. And at the same time, sometimes you feel cursed, you know, because it's so hard on the body. It's so hard on your psyche. And for me, what worked was starting to connect to other women. That was very important for me. I started like participating in women's workshops and, and understanding that women's energy was what I needed, that I could not find uh, acknowledgement in the male. Because you guys, you don't understand what we're going through. You know, even if you love us, but you are in a different tangent. So that uh, support from women, from women that have been mothers, from women that are, uh, you know, healers, women that are sensitive, has been so important, especially now after all we have all we have been through in this past year. I think that's really coming to the surface again. Women, we can come together instead of competing with each other because you know in the Ashtanga community, competition is one of the <laughs> low points. And I was there, you know, I was competing too. I was trying to be the best one and trying to be the first one. And and motherhood somehow uh, showed me that there's a different way of doing things. It's, it's more about about being um, being close to the women around you instead of judging them and, and supporting each other and inspiring each other. And for those of us who choose to be mothers, because it's not something that you know that that you can create. I mean, you can choose to be a mother, and you will never be a mother if God doesn't grant you the baby. <laughs> but if you choose to be a mother and you get the babies and you understand what true service is through seva, that's non-stop service for many many years i think for the rest of our lives you know because we always have our babies in our hearts no matter how big they are and i remember before we talked a lot about body image and mm. women and yoga and around body image and, and especially with motherhood as well i think you know not only the postures go away but the body changes it looks different um do can you can you say anything about that i mean obviously You've, yeah. you've talked about going through a sense of competition and also talked more recently about feeling less image-based and competitive about it. Dude, can you put your finger on why that changed or the shift? Or Well, you know, when, when you have a baby, your body goes through so many hormonal changes that affect your emotions. And then, you know, you're trying to fit into your former genes and you're not going to fit into your former genes until maybe a year after the baby is born. And then we are you know, we're supposed to be thin and flexible and strong. And then you're not fitting into the Ashtangi, in the Ashtangi like, uh, I don't know, like, like the, the mold of the perfect, you know, beautiful, uh, I don't know, strong and, and, and graceful yogini. And you're like, what am I, you know, am I really... Am I really that that I thought I was? Maybe it was all a dream. It was all a fantasy. 
So for any mother that is listening to me now, it's, it's so much deeper than how you look in the Instagram post. It's so much deeper than the professional pictures and the yoga clothes because, you know, there's so, so much business behind all this yoga thing, especially in the U.S. And, and there's like a, a, a very raw space in the women's uh, heart when, when we mother and when we mother ourselves back to a new uh, version of who we are. And we have to do it ourselves and we have to do it with other women. There's no other way. We cannot do it with our partners. There's, there's this like huge abyss between a new mother and her partner, even though they both love the baby, but he's not in our bodies. And we're going through so many changes daily. And we're the only one that can breastfeed and breastfeeding is painful. And then healing from a C-section, for example, my last baby was C-section. It's super painful. It's, it's so much pain and love all bundled together. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's a huge contradiction. And like what we're living right now in, the, in this crazy world, you know, it's like yoga. I, I think we have all suffered from this pandemic. I mean, especially my, my, my asana practice has gone down the tubes. It's like, because I am feeling so much anxiety in the environment and so many changes and this and that and the vaccines and no traveling. And like, so I am barely struggling with primary series. And, and in a good day, I can do Kapotasana. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, I'm not pushing myself beyond what I consider is right for my body right now. And, and that competition with me inside of me that you have to do it all. You have to do your full second series and third series, no matter what. Is softening. Um, it's really like, okay, there's another way, you know, be gentle with yourself. What is going on? How are you feeling? Do the best you can. And Sherat says that, you know, the practice that happened is the best practice that could have happened. Just come to your mat and do whatever you can. And sometimes it's one Sudhi Namaskar and then you cry. And sometimes it's the full primary. Sometimes it's half intermediate sometimes. Mm. But it's, it's, it's having more compassion toward ourselves. At least that's what I'm learning in this past year. Do you think there's a lot of judgment between women putting pressure on each other with the clothes and with the look oh, and with yes. the image? I mean, obviously there's the, we, you know, oh. we know, we, we know <laughs> enough now there's, there's the idea of the male gaze and feeling like you know, it ought to be a certain way to suit that male gaze. But I think now increasingly there's, you know, also a huge amount of pressure between women to be a certain, look a certain way, perform a certain I way, right? achieve. That has always been there from a patriarchal point of view. It has always been there, you know, especially in our Latin America society, you know, there's so many, so many femicides and killings of women. And, you know, if a woman uh, speaks her truth, you know, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, not only for men, but for women alike. So this subtle competition, even in the shala, you know, about, you know, this, this yogini is older or this yogini does not look any, like, you know, she doesn't look perfect in her yoga clothes because she just had a baby and, and there were some anorexic students. You know, you understand that there's something happening beyond what you can see with the eye. And that's what really interests me because that's what the yoga is for. You know, if you portray yourself like a perfect 
human being, there's always something that is not like matching. We all have our wound. And, and yoga is about being with your wound and, and, and being grateful for the wound. Because like a poet used to say, that's where the light comes in. But first we need to honor it ourselves and feel it. Because otherwise you can use the yoga as an escape and as a fix. Uh, and it mm, becomes mm. very like fragmented from what it originally is meant to do, to bring you back to the truth of your being with a capital B. That's how and it's... And honestly, as, ma as male and, and female, we have, we all have our, you know, our experiences, our past, our traumas, wounds. But what, is, what does it mean to honor a feminine body? as opposed to a male body. And, and this is a particular interest of, to me, and I know you've done the Women of Ashtanga a couple of times conference, which has been incredibly helpful and successful. Um, what does it mean to, to practice as, as, a, as a woman and, you know, as a mother and with, with, and with struggles that a woman goes through with family and with having had children? Uh, why, uh, why should we make a difference there between how a man practices or should we at all? Or a woman, you know, I, I don't think we should because all of us, we have been traumatized just by being born in such a harsh society, in such a demanding, and I think it's for both genders, for male and, we, and female, that we are pressurized to become something that we are not since we are little kids. I mean, I was reading today a quote that says, every child is an artist until they grow up and someone tells them that they are not an artist. And, and that's what actually happened to me. You know, I was, I was a musician in my heart and there was not support in my family to become a professional musician. That's why I had to study to be a lawyer, which I never wanted to be. <laughs> and allowing our children to be who they really are is such a leap of faith because you want your children to be happy and sometimes they cho their choices are not what you would have chosen, but is their path, is their life, and a deep respect for who they are and for their mistakes as well, and, and, and trying to be that unconditional support and love, even though you may not agree with what they're doing in their lives. And wow, if, if a parent can give that somehow, I think that's, that's a gift for the child. Something that maybe you and me, we never got in <laughs> many of our generations. Mm, mm. What happens if you go into the shala, for example, and you're feeling, you know, after having a child or having the, especially after you're cesarean, and you can't practice how you want to practice. You can't practice literally and, you know, into the way that you're, you're quote, meant to do the asanas. But how was that for you? How was that experience? And then how do you get how do you get around it? And how do you men practice as you know as you go through life and actually have children and families and other other responsibilities other than yoga to deal mm -hmm. with? How, you know, but you know, even if you don't have children, we are all aging. You know, and one day really, we, I'm not. <laughs> one day <laughs> we won't be able to wake up from the bed that easy and maybe you know we'll have to have travel going down into our mat and sitting on the floor and we're all headed there and, and it's so beautiful because practice it gets like seasoned with age i don't know how to say it like for me in the beginning it was so i was like a machine you know like tim miller used to say a lean mean yoga machine <laughs> 
And then you start saying, you know, what's, who am I competing with? Why am I going so fast? Slow down, slow down and, and really breathe and be with yourself. And how are you feeling and what is going on around you? And how is the body today? Just easy, Mariela, <laughs> take it easy. I have a lot of fire and, and Shanga can overdo the fire, you know, and, and, and motherhood for me has been like fresh water. Just, you know, easy, slow down. <laughs> you know, it's not about more, it's about less for you. You can do it all. I had a teacher, I remember in San Francisco when I was doing my first, you know, inquiries in Ashtanga, and he used to tell me, fall in Utita Hastapangustasana, fall. And I was, what, fall? No, I want to do it perfect, you know. You need to fall. You're, you're, you're being just too perfect. You need to relax inside of you. And accept that you can also make mistakes and that you can also allow yourself to, to not be perfect. And that I think that's something that mostly in women and, and in type A personalities, you know, we want to do it fast, we want to do it first, and we want to do it, you know, be the best one. What would you have um, done differently? Wow, <laughs> you know, God was has been so merciful not to just, me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not just talking at the most general level about the whole of your life, but more like in terms of how you practice and how you've, you know, whilst having the children, right? Like, is there anything you can say that you would say, well, you know, looking back, I, I would have practiced slower, right? You know, in a practical level, I would have done it, you know, I would have started, I would have started again later and I've kept on practicing throughout the pregnancy or I've done less <laughs> early, you know, like, can you say anything like that? You know, my only luck in life is that I have a teacher that I trust. So right. when he would welcome me in the shala, for me, that was a signal saying, you can do it. Even though sometimes I would doubt myself and say, you know, should I go to Meister this year? I don't feel like I can do it. But then he would say, you come, you come. And then I would say, okay, if he trusts me, then maybe I can trust myself. And, and he was coaching me and he was accepting me as I was, you know, and he knew I was going through the birth and the pregnancies and everything. And still there was a space for me in Inshallah. And, and that for me meant the world because I was really not trusting myself, Adam. I was saying, you know, I should be done with this, you know, I, I cannot like, I don't look like those yoginis that are in their twenties that are all bendy and like, ah. Do, do I really deserve this practice? That was, those were my innermost so why, doubts. Why wouldn't you have deserved it? Because I was not looking like my best. I was not... Because you were looking your best, you wouldn't deserve it. Mm. Yeah, I had been caught in my belly. All my nadis and bandhas were gone. Was that I, was the last one, right? Yeah, was I really allowed to be an ashtangi? And, and he was saying, you come, you have a space. You come and assist me. You come and help me. And... And his support was what, you know, moved me through it. And that's where the presence of your teacher is so crucial. Someone you trust. Someone that you can say, oh, my God, I don't trust myself. But if they're saying you can do it, then magic happens and you can do it. So I have no, like, how can I say? It's not mine. Um, it, it, it's, it's the transmission. It's for me, it's the, the magic of the, of the transmission of energy that happens when you you really trust someone and, and you take them as your uh, guidance. Mm. I can resonate with that. I'm still trying to get some practical advice out of you. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I'll continue. Um, 
<laughs> what about um <laughs> what, what about um after the cesarean is that i mean you know this is a i mean obviously it's an it's an essential operation at points but it's also a horrific one um you know and only only recently in the start of the 20th century did people survive women survive from this what how how did you get your practice back after having all the muscles of your mm-hmm. lower abdomen cut i mean any advice that you can give what happened is that I, I really wanted to have my babies with no anesthesia and, and, you know, and that's how I had my six first babies. You know, I was just, I oh, was squat and just like go. And then with the sixth one with Theo, the, we were in a pool, you know, and it was super nice and incense and candles and everything. And the, then the baby didn't come out and the baby had other plans. And then it was a forceps uh, birth, you know, they put these huge like spoons inside your body and they pulled the baby and the baby was blue and he was covered in feces and I, I almost passed out. It was so traumatic and that's when I had the postpartum depression and one of my hips, my piriformis was completely torn. So, you know, for an Ashtagi to have your piriformis torn, it means you cannot place your leg behind the head. And the doctors were saying, you know, you're done. You should not be uh, doing this crazy practice. You should be kneading. <laughs> That's what the orthopedicians were telling me. And mm-hmm. you cannot ever do this again. Forget about this. And and then I was saying, okay, he's telling me that I need to, to give up my path. And then a voice was telling me, go to Mysore. And I heal my hip with yoga. Um, I heal it because, you know, I, I can do my practice. And how would you call it? I would call it a miracle. Because with the C-section, like you say, they cut you, you have no sensation. It's really like, uh, it's so violent, that that surgery. And if any mother is, is listening to me, please, as much as you can, have a natural birth. Don't go for the C-section unless it's absolutely like, you know, necessary to save your life and the babies. Yeah. But um, there's a huge difference between... Uh, listening to the body and letting the body do what the body knows how to do, you know, to give birth and uh, allowing someone to, to put a knife on you. Just like stay away from knives as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's my, my, my advice from my heart. <laughs> right. What about when you returned to the Charlotte and you weren't able to do that stuff? How did you deal with that? Because I feel the same in, to be honest. I mean, as much as I said, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aging. You know, we're all aging. And, you know, I completed the advanced series in my sort. And I feel reticence to go back as well because I'm not as good as I was. And, um, you know, and, um, you know, you do feel the pressure of, and it's ridiculous to say it because obviously we're also in, in, in a, in tandem in the same time have this deeper sense of yoga but we're also still human beings and still prone to have an ego with the the physical the demonstrable the visible part of the yoga as well and and so how did you deal with it we're going back and people look you know people would know you had a standard of yoga you know and then you go back you know and you can't you can't put your leg behind your head anymore you can't do primary series anymore and how how did you deal with that in your head and, and you know emotionally 
Yeah, it was a big letting go. It was a letting go of, of an image that I had of myself as, as an Ashtangi and what I was supposed to do and how I, I was supposed to look. And also, you know, me being the teacher, the only teacher in, authorized in Central America and, and holding like this pedestal that I had, like, you know, it was a lot, a lot of that crumbled because, you know, I was not holding up to my expectations anymore. And at the same time, in that shala, feeling held, you know, it, it, that's for me something so important that I really want to like uh, remark because I never felt held in my life. Uh, um, I always felt like I was alone. And all of a sudden, in that pool of safe space, and sometimes, you know, Sherrod would get intense with me also, and, and he would like use his voice and... And those were like wake up calls and some people react very bad to that. But in my case, I was really grateful that he would throw those uh, arrows at me because he finally collapsed the extractor. <laughs> That's what happened to me. It was like, I was trying to hold it up and, you know, pretend it was still there. And then with his arrows, he just completely shattered everything. And I really thank him for that because I was relieved. I was relieved from having to be someone that I was not anymore. You know, my, my body was transforming, my mind was transforming, and I could allow a new Mariela to be born that was completely different from what I anticipated. It was way more patient, humble, you know, low profile, not like the shiny yogini, you know, in those huge, like, pictures. And, you know, it was not like a, a fabrication. It was something real. And that was something that really hit, poof, hit home. And that's how I'm teaching now. I'm teaching from that space of you come, you come as broken as you are, as sad as you are, as angry as you are, and, and it's fine. You know, you don't need to pretend to be anything you're not. Just be yourself, and that's perfectly fine. And that's that's all we're doing here. We're trying to be ourselves and, and taking away our, all of our masks and, and holding each other in love instead of judging each other. And we're learning to do that. I think we're all learning to do that in this crazy world that we're living right now. On a completely, I mean, many of the things you say are wonderful. So I, I, I hesitate to start a different train of thread, but I'm still trying to get you on, um, on the yoga and patriarchy thing. And if you spoken on yoga and patriarchy, huh. um, can you explain it a little bit more? In, in, um, in terms of what we might be looking for to, you yes, know, especially as yes. female practitioners yes. in a, essentially a male-based, you know, it is a male-conceived system. I think we can say that. Well, there's this danger of like um, polarity, you know, because if we get into the patriarchy, then I have to become like this Amazon, you know, and this warrior woman and this Lara Croft, you know, to be able to, to, to fight against patriarchy. And then you are in a worse place than you were before, you know what I mean? Because it, it's about our souls, it's about our, our evolution as, as friends, because somehow we met, somehow there was a synchronicity and, and we were in that shala doing the best we could, each of us, and, and searching for something true. And now I think we are all a little more uh, devastated after this year of pandemic, a little more like broken. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity, you know, like for these events that, that you were speaking about, like last year, when Ufashtanga, 
and mm. friends of Ashtanga, we were all so uh, startled about what was happening. And just coming together was so healing. It was for me to listen to my colleagues, to meet many of them that I've never met, to just be able to listen and, and learn from each other instead of saying, you know, I am the certified one and you shut up because I'm the certified. Uh, instead of this hierarchy, this mm. community, this gathering, this friendship among all of us, especially amongst women. Instead of saying, Why? oh, I Why need to be like though? her. I need to, because in Ashtanga, there's this uh, predicament that women need to look like certain yoginis out there. I have to say it straight. And that yeah, that's is, what I've been trying to get you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that <laughs> is such a mirage. Uh, Adam. It's a mirage because we're all aging. I know this yoginis personally, and we are all aging. We're all aching. And yoga is for everyone. It's not only for the gifted one and the beautiful one. <laughs> it's for everyone. It's for the mother that is struggling at night with her baby. It's for the patient with cancer. It's with the overweight teacher. It's for the elderly gentleman. It's for the grandfather. It's for the child. It's for the student. It's for everyone. Yoga is the medicine of the present moment, present times of struggle in the, on earth. And as teachers, we cannot uh, judge our students. I feel in my own path as a teacher, I used to judge students and say, you know, you're the good ones and you're the not advanced ones and you will never be advanced and you can never go to my student. And now I say, everybody's welcome. You can all do it. Please come to India whenever you, you are allowed. You're perfect. You're beautiful as you are. You just need to feel that spark inside of you that is asking, who am I? Maybe this yoga technology helps me. Maybe this path uh, somehow uh, makes me feel less lonely and less uh, like, uh, how can I say, like when, when we don't, I always felt like an outcast in my society, you know what I mean? And, and I know many of us have felt that way because we're different. If you are like, for example, if you're gay, if you're black, if you're um, mixed like me, uh, if you're like, if you don't feel the, you know, the white supremacist thing in yoga, wow, that's wonderful. Come, please come. You are allowed to come. We are all the same energy in different uh, bodies, but it doesn't mean because we look different that we are different. We're all the same. That's, that's how but I there's something now. specific still about sharing with women and the, the, the you know the, a women's body practicing mm. and and has a different kind of tempo and energy than a man's practicing and there's a, a connection between women that's that that you felt was important but you tell me also as a man you know there's so much shame in our bodies and some of that shame we have inherited from our parents and, and grandparents and we don't even know those traumas are in our DNA. And with this yoga, you know, with this, uh, you know, every day you're like, you know, using the hammer and like, and everything starts shaking. I suppose I'd my, my comment would be, there's a sense of, there's a conditioning, whether it's conditioning or genetic, there's mm -hmm. a sense of masculinity or femininity that we're all, let's say, given or saddled with at a very early on. The child, you know, the first thing yes. a child will know, yes. will know is whether it's been called or it feels in a masculine, you know, there's a divide. The first thing it senses is a divide between two different, you know, a male, a, a father and a mother. 
Yeah. Right. And and ever and ever after that, I think we're battling with notions uh, and living up to the ideas of of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman that we inevitably feel lacking. You know, uh, whether a female or a male in our masculinity or femininity. Now, I certainly felt that. I, um, you know, I'm probably a smaller guy on the smaller side. You know, so there was definitely for me a sense of. Uh, battling with uh, uh, the masculinity of where I'm from in Essex, where there's a certain type of more macho kind of man, you know, and and finding your own way with it, you know. And and you also talked about being an outcast, and and but also you've you know also talked about being feeling you've been judged by women as well, that you felt like you had to compete, and you felt a certain type of pressure to be a certain way. There's a woman in Latin America as well to fit in with the feminine role. Um, Give me a few parting comments on, on this. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoken enough there. <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of conditioning. That's what really, like, grabbed me. I think it's a lot of conditioning because we are all, ultimately, we're all the same energy. We're souls. But definitely we have certain karmas that we need to fulfill when we get a feminine body or a masculine body, you know, because there's different conditioning for each gender. And uh, growing up and living uh, for many years in my patriarchal Costa Rica, I really felt that I could not fit that uh, stereotype of the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect woman, the perfect, because it was too small for me, you know. And then the yoga came and there was like an implosion from inside of me. And uh, I really want that for every human being in the world, you know, because sometimes we feel we're chained to certain ideas that are not ours. Um, and, and we feel like, this shame that because just the way we look or because we are not tall enough, like you used to say, or remember that movie, Billy Elliot? I, it's one of my favorite movies in the world. Did you see that? Yes, I have seen it. Yes. Yeah. So he's, he's really breaking a lot of uh, conditioning because he wants to be a dancer and he's in Ireland, you know, it's just like, what? You cannot be a dancer. You have to be a mind like your father and your brother, a mind like... And that's what I've been through in my own uh, personal story. I, I had to break a lot of chains with a lot of personal sacrifice. And I would do it again. That's the part that is really cool because I would do it and again. And also, I suppose, others, along the way, others' judgment upon you and your, let's say, you know, as a... As, you know, I'm sure as a mother going to Mysore and leaving children, you, you had a lot of people, you know, kind of would have been saying, well, what are you doing? You ought to be at home, right? Um, yeah, and, but um, I, also, I also took each of my elder kids to India, you know, and two of them, Adriana and Ariel, went to Mysore and practiced in the Shaila. And I, I opened spaces for them that a traditional conservative mother would have never done. And I broke a lot of uh, laws unspoken loss, you know, about not uh, not being free as a mother. As a mother, you have to sacrifice. As a mother, you have to, like, you know, move very low. And, and, and I would do it again because it's so glorious when you finally realize you're none of that. <laughs> you're not of that conditioning. Your spirit has to soar free and fly. And, and this technology of yoga helps every human being be a little freer every day. And it doesn't have to look in a certain way. Even if you start breathing deeply and you do one sun salutation, slowly, slowly, it's going to become deeper and it's going to become your, your, your safe haven 
to know yourself and explore who you are. And when I tell you who you are, like Ramana Maharshi used to say, who are you? Are you the ideas about your society? You were born in, in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Are you uh, the one that practices in Mysore? Who is that? You know, it's, it's very interesting to, who is practicing there? You know, can I allow myself to be vulnerable and maybe not to do the postures perfect and maybe to fail instead of like more postures, go here, authorization, certification, ta-ta. I mean, it's not a linear path. That's what I want to say. It's, it's like an, a spiral that takes you somehow, some, sometimes into the depth of your darkness, and then it rises again, and then it takes you down again and just really like, wow, uh, devastates all your ideas about who you think you are. It's so glorious. It's, I don't know how to express it in words. It's just like you're going to receive something that you have never expected, but you have to do something that you have never done for this practice to work. And sometimes it means going against the grain of your society or going against the grain of your family. And, and it takes a lot of courage because sometimes it's like a huge void, you know. It's, it's a void. My, I wrote like a, a little autobiography when I came from Costa Rica to live in India and it's called Void is a Feather Bed. That's my... Well, well that's because, a good title. I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's like falling into this, oh my God, I don't know who I am anymore. And it's okay. I can live with it. I can breathe. I'm breathing. Somehow this means that I'm allowed to be here. and I don't have to live in shame anymore. I can be who I am. And I'm starting to know myself. And even if other people don't approve, I'm starting to approve of myself. And that feels good. <laughs> hmm. What can I say? That's, that's lovely and I'm pleased to hear it <laughs> very pleased to hear it um, <laughs> on a kind of kind of more practical note finally well, well you know if, if I have many women come back to class again they've had children and they say well you know like what should I do now like uh, you know like how should I get my practice back how do, how have you got your practice back after having the have you done the whole thing again or you know have you done a half an hour or broke it down or First of all, I allow my students who have babies to bring the babies in the child. Even now that I'm doing online classes, they the babies are part of the Mysore class. And they are a very important part. Because when she has to, like, you know, turn off the camera and breastfeed in the middle of the Mysore, we're all feeling that baby's energy there. We're all feeling her devotion to her baby. And then she comes back and the baby's sleeping. So that freedom of women... To, to come as they are. That's so important, you know, and, and no pressure, you know. You don't have to be in your jeans, in your tight jeans six months after because you see, like, you know, the stars in their bright bikinis. That, that's not human. <laughs> Just give yourself time and, and be patient with yourself. Like, like I said, it's not only the birth of the child, it's the birth of a family, it's the birth of a mother. Uh, be gentle with yourself. Sleep as much as you can. I would say that instead of trying to do asana, when the baby sleeps during the day, you sleep as well. Because you don't know what type of night you're going to face. You know, in the first six months, you never know. And some babies, two years, three years, that, you know, parents barely sleep. And, you know, a sleep-deprived human being becomes dangerous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so yoga sometimes is just like taking a nap. 
But that's your practice for the day. Don't be so hard on yourself, you know. The practice will come back. And there's no pressure. Okay, so finally, what are your expectations for the future? What are, what are your, mm -hmm. Can you say what your ambitions for the future are? Oh my God, you know, I used to have the ambition, I have to say, I used to have the ambition of being certified. I don't have it anymore. I'm just happy to be able to serve the people and be with the people because with everything that has happened in my life in the past five years, you know, I was actually really asking myself if I was like, if, if being alive was an option, you know what I mean? And now uh, I see this yoga as a healing tool for everyone. And if, if your heart is broken, if your mind is, is going too fast, if your body is breaking apart, is, we are all welcome. And, and my expectation is just to be of service. That's all I want to be right now in my life. And if we can go back to Mysore, that would be wonderful. I mean, actually, I go to Mysore every time that I can. You know, I fly from the north, and it's, I'm just there in Mysore by myself. And and I just feel the place and breathe the air and see the palm trees. And I'm super happy to be there. And who knows if we are going to be allowed to go back? Who knows? There's so much uncertainty right now. But inside of us, we can uh, be who we are as much as we can every day, and that's enough. I'm feeling that honestly inside of me, and, and, and it's such a joy. It's, it was so demanding before. Now I'm really like super grateful every day just for being alive and for being here with you, and that's so wonderful. Beautiful Sunday. <laughs> Tell me of your inspiration. You mentioned... Um... Last, mm. I remember, when we did the interview of an inspiring figure. Yes, you know, when I was working as ambassador of Costa Rica to India, I met this amazing woman here in India. Her name is Vandana Shiva. And she has been the, oh, the hero of many because all these big companies, Monsanto and Bayer, they want to bring all their uh, GMO seeds to India, you know, and completely like trash the lands and... And she has been defending the original indigenous seeds. And she's creating banks of seeds. So the farmers go to these seeds banks and they get a, a bag of good seeds. And then they just have to return the seeds. They don't have to go into loans. They don't have to go into money, crazy things. And, and they nurture the air and they earth. And they are learning to uh, plant the, the plants with trees and in different, like the, like the way it used to be in the past. So really nourishing food comes to the children and the people and they don't get sick because if you're eating food with pesticides, then you're getting a cancer. And that's where all the pharma comes in. And, you know, the whole cycle is. So I really admire her. She's for me one of my uh, icons. She's incredible. And yeah, yeah we, we, need to, we need to mention her. And if you haven't heard of her, everyone look her up. She's, she's definitely a figure not to be messed with. When you hear her talk, you think, yeah. She's she's pretty tough. Absolutely amazing. Goddess Kali, you know, like yeah, she's tough. Like amazing what she's doing. So uh, yeah, yeah, she needs to mention and listen yeah. to her as well. Yes. Um, so <laughs> last, uh, let's end up uh, a little funny uh, ending. Well, give me a guilty pleasure, like something you enjoy doing. You know, just a silly. It can be a silly. No, just a silly thing, like you know, 
you like chocolate or anything you know anything like that you know no, actually I don't like chocolate or anything like that but my husband really likes it so his treat is this chocolate fudge and he brings the chocolate fudge once a week to the house and ah. I have to confess that I'm starting to like it <laughs> well come on it's chocolate fudge sugar butter and, you, know, you can't not like that <laughs> that's my guilty thing on rest days <laughs> yeah right well i think mark roberts still wins with his um liking chick flicks <laughs> yeah 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 we we both bonded uh, liking uh emily in paris you know that's uh, <laughs> emily, yeah, yeah we, both me and mark both like that yeah wonderful so, yeah all right well mariella it's been wonderful to have you and thank um, you we we'll so look much. look out for our uh another women's conference that we're we're getting together yes, to uh yes. to, uh, to, to with a number, a number of women and and myself um uh, shortly it's important to have that male presence you know <laughs> oh well thank you yes, <laughs> I can't, very, very kind. so yeah look thank look forward to doing so that with you much. soon all right Please take thanks care. Mariella. Love. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>